Welcome to MarketScale Software and Electronics. I'm Sean Heath. Today, I have an opportunity to have a conversation with the co-founder and CEO for Aslo, Brian Hamilton. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, do me a favor. Um, I'm always interested in the backstory. I always like a little narrative uh, description or an explanation. I like to know how we got where we are at any given point. What was it that really pushed you to decide, okay, you know what? It's time. I have to found this company. What was the what was the situation that put you on the road to founding Aslo? Uh, a couple of different factors. You know, earlier in my career, I worked at banks and around fintech and financial services quite a bit. So had a lot of experience with um, kind of how the sausage gets made behind the scenes there. And being a multi-time entrepreneur and small business owner myself, you know, I was still unable to have an experience, particularly with some of the core banking um, products that you have to use and have to go sign up for and roll for, get started with, you know, as you start a business, um, they were all still very, very broken. Um, and I have, you know, I call it dabbled in the space or been in and around the space of small business financial services for quite a while, worked on some similar products at companies, both large and small in the past. And never was able to really, you know, crack that nut. No, never was able to really deliver something that I thought was on par with some of the other digital experiences that exist, uh, you know, in financial services, even as an entrepreneur and a small business owner. And then uh, was, you know, connected through networks and, and friends and, and other professional connections with some of the folks that ended up being, you know, our our current strategic investor that provided some of the money to get this off the ground. Uh, and they, you know, gave me an opportunity to put this together and, and put something in the market here in the States that I think is pretty, pretty powerful. And, and is, you know, for, for both myself and the team, I think an opportunity to help serve others like ourselves that are, you know, that are trying to get businesses off the ground. And this is one of those dusty corners that just is way harder than it should be. And it takes, takes your time away from doing the thing that you actually love. The financial industry is one of those clubs that's really, really hard to become a member of. How do you deal with that? I want to say frustration. I don't know if that's the right word, but the, tell me what, what's the motivation? What is it that pushes you to say, this is, I, we have to fix this? Um, it's a great question. I, I think we, we are focused Partially, like the, the customers we are trying to serve are the ones that aren't part of the club, right? Uh, I think if you look at uh, just society at large and kind of economic inequality more broadly, it, the game really isn't necessarily, you know, not, not everybody has the same hand, right? Um, and one of the best ways to change your odds is to start a business. And if you look at banking um, relative to, you know, the economy and politics, it is one of those, to your point, it's... It's kind of an old boys club, right? It tends to be, and, and not to be too politically incorrect, but a lot of old rich white guys that tend to be the center of power. And, and to break into that is, is kind of hard. Um, and I would say that the, the very first step of breaking into that, if you are, you know, anywhere else on that scale of luck and privilege, uh, one of the best ways to get into it is to start a business. So there's a, there's an interesting kind of, you know, meta concept there, which is the the thing we're trying to solve for a much broader, more diverse set of people is indeed how you crack into those things, i.e. the club of wealth and privilege. And, and I think, you know, starting your own business, running your own business, um, 
is one of the best ways um, to, to get to that next step on the ladder and begin pulling yourselves up one at a time, one at a time. You know, I'm very fortunate. I think as, as I get older in life, I'm, I recognize how fortunate I am to have had the connections and experience that I've had that has, you know, allowed me to be part of this and know what I know about how the back end of banking works. And I think it, uh, you know, as you, as you go on, you feel more of a sense of responsibility um, to expose that to others and to give others those same opportunities, which is which is a great way to tie those together, right, with what we do at Oslo, which is to do that for a more kind of the, the underserved and more marginalized entrepreneurial communities and to help them, you know, crack into that club for the first time. At times, it does seem that the services in the financial sector are geared to help people or companies that don't necessarily need a lot of help. They're, they're doing okay. And I, it's a noble mission and, you know, it's a moral mission that you have to extend that help to the people who really need that help. Tell me how that informs your work day. When you get up and you head into the office, tell me what, what about that puts a spring in your step? Um, well, I mean, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, which is, it is, there is a nobility to it. There's something a little bit more meaningful than just making money, either for your shareholders or as employers. Like there's, there, you really are in service of someone that you can relate to, particularly if you've ever started a business, right? And and it turns out that most people have, right? So the majority of, um, you know, employment in the country by count is absolutely with small business, even though the majority of the profit is all. Um, kind of coalesced at the top. Uh, and so everybody knows somebody that has started a business, right? You, you know, your mom, your sister, your cousin, your brother, yourself, um, they've all done something. They've had a side gig. They had a shop. They were a small business owner, right? Like, and it's very relatable. And I think, it, you know, providing capital to those folks is the ultimate help, as you would put it, right? Quote, unquote. And that is, you know, something that is part of our strategy and part of our mission as well. But even the little stuff that feels really, really mundane, um, you know, just <laughs> having to walk into a physical space and fill out physical paperwork in order to accomplish something, you know, just to move money around and then, you know, not getting, you know, really ripped off by, you know, by the company that's moving your money around. Little stuff uh, that takes up lots of time in your day, um, removing a little bit of that and hearing even just a little bit of you know, the joy or relation or gratitude that you get from one of those customers when you do that, it, it is, you know, serves its own purpose. So I'd love to say that we were really delivering on that mission extensively right now. And we're pretty, we're pretty young in the market, but even some of the feedback we get and some of the customer conversations that we have, it's just really, you know, it's fulfilling to hear that you have made a difference even in small ways in their life that lets them spend a little bit more time doing what they, you know, either love to do or feel they need to do to, to get ahead. Um, and where we hope to go with it, I think, is even more meaningful, right? I think the, um, you know, providing providing capital, for example, to these businesses, in addition to removing obstacles, uh, eventually get to a place where you can really point to that and say, wow, I had a really, you know, I made a difference in that person's trajectory or that business's trajectory. So it's certainly where we want to go. I, I wouldn't say that we're delivering on that entirely yet, but, uh, but it does put a, you know, puts some pep in your step if you're doing it correctly. It seems like one of the biggest challenges that, that small businesses face is the fact that financial institutions are very insular. They, they set up borders and boundaries, and this is my sandbox. You stay in your sandbox, but if you want to work with my sandbox, we can find a way to do it, but it's going to cost you to be able to switch from this box to that box. And one of the things you guys have done at Aslo is the no-fee cross-border payment. 
that opens up not just a financial industry, that opens up the world. That is a very ambitious global view. Tell me why that's so important to you. Um, well, I mean, from the from the top down, right, the big picture, I think it, it really is about breaking down walls uh, and not building them. I think the, you know, globalization, I think, is can serve some um, well and some poorly, but it's a force that I think you need to be aware of if you want to survive going forward. And if you look at the folks that are starting businesses, right, I think there's some interesting stats out there. Millennials, like uh, more than half of them want to start a business in the next you know, three years. If you look at the people that are starting businesses, uh, immigrants, uh, Hispanic business owners starting new businesses at like twice the rate of the native born uh, in the States, what you see is a very, um, you know, internationalizing or a, a perspective on the world that is much more global, right? And whether that means you have to pay somebody across a border, whether that's a, you know, freelance designer in Mexico City, or it's, you know, importing, you know, a single piece of something for the thing that you make from Canada or from you know, Europe, it could be a very small piece of your overall business. But your awareness of the fact that you can source that part there, or that you can source that service from somewhere else, or maybe your customers and, you know, and vendors are across the border because you came from there. And that's where your network uh, is based. It's much more common. Uh, and I think that when you look at, you know, where, where society will be as you fast forward, there's obviously a lot of, um, you, you know, more protectionist kind of nationalist pendulum swing going on right now in politics around the world. But I think if you look at the big picture, what you find are, you know, the next generation of people starting businesses, they really have a more global perspective on the world. They want to be more connected, not less connected. And, you know, you need to give them services that support that. And I think that we are uh, what we're doing right now, you know, in the market is, for example, onboarding of, uh, uh, you know, resident alien um, business owners. So immigrant small business owners digitally start to finish only bank account of the country that will do that for you for a business account. We're serving, you know, serving you in a way digitally without you having to walk into a physical branch, but also a population that is that is more internationally oriented and where we will take that, as you mentioned. So, you know, later this year we'll be rolling out the rest of the international payment suite, uh, as well as a couple other really interesting features there around interoperability with other tools, so payments tools that cross borders, uh, et cetera. It, it starts to come together in a way that you know makes sense to you as a more kind of uh, you know, modern, digitally oriented, more globally oriented um, entrepreneur. And that really tends to be the bulk of what we see in the market these days. Like that's, um, you know, that's where things are going. And I think we want to you know, to use the Gretzky quote, skate to where the puck is going to be. Like, that's how the world's going to work going forward. And I think we want to be a part of that. I'm a firm believer in the concept that there's really no such thing as too much information. I think it's better to know too much than not know that you don't know enough. I don't know if I express that clearly. But one of the roadblocks to gaining that knowledge. And that knowledge can take a bunch of different forms when you're talking about, about business. It could be technological. It could be cultural. There, there are tons of aspects that go into building knowledge that businesses can actually leverage and use to help perform better, perform, provide better services or better products. But one of the biggest challenges or the biggest roadblocks is transparency. That seems to be a huge hurdle that I'm imagining you have to deal with on a daily basis. How do you keep your optimism? What is it that makes you optimistic that transparency is something that can be 
utilized and made a common part of the financial industry? Uh, I think it's a great question. Um, again, tapping into what I think is a is a deep desire for people to return to a world where facts have some meaning, right? And truth is something that you can actually discover. Uh, I feel like the financial industry has, over the years, and this isn't news, you know, gotten into more of the obfuscated, I'm going to charge you a fee for something you didn't mean to do, um, you know, and I've got you kind of against a wall now. And it turns out that's when your account's out of money, so I'm going to charge you an extra fee. Um, and and certainly there has been some regulatory pressure, you know, on the financial industry to correct that. But I feel like getting ahead of that and correcting it, you know, proactively and really building a brand and a product and a company with a statement that says, we will be very transparent with you, both in how we make money and how we deliver a service to you. And I think that's something that we actually get from customers. They ask us, well, how do you make money if you don't charge me fees? Uh, and there's some very straightforward answers there, right? I think a lot of people don't realize that banks make money just by holding your money. It's kind of an interesting concept, but banks don't like to tell you that because then they have trouble justifying all the other fees that they charge you on that money, right? Uh, but that that is the business model of banking. It's a very you know, privileged industry that, you know, uniquely gets to lend out other people's money at 10 times leverage. <laughs> um, and nobody else gets to do that, right? So there's, um, there's a very simple, I think, and um, you know, agreeable business model there to safely store and move your money for you. And here's how we make money doing that. And then there's some other additional services that make sense to you. Like if I'm going to lend you money at a fair rate, you understand why you're paying me money for that, right? Um, those are things that are very understandable to your average consumer or your average small business owner, but it's not really how the industry has presented itself in the past. So I think there is a there's certainly some higher ground to be staked out there. And and again, putting it in the context of kind of more broadly what's going on in the world these days, I think it's important. I think it's important that, you know, everyone from the financial industry to, uh, you know, got, good luck with the politics on this one. But, uh, you know, the politicians and everyone else return to a world where you can objectively know what is my relationship with this company and how are they making money off of me. Right. I think that plays into what you see with social media and a lot of the other platforms that people use, you know, for free where their data becomes the product and people just need to better understand how that works. So if we can be, you know, at all a part of moving that back toward uh, a transparent kind of fair value for service interaction between consumers and their services, I think that's uh, it's an important role for us to play. I think another goal that you have is the simple clarification or the reintroduction of the concept of industrial responsibility. You know, sometimes companies really forget what they were founded to do and what their real purpose is. Maybe they get lost in the bean counting. Maybe they get lost in finding a new way to assess fees and pleasing the shareholders when ultimately the shareholders are not the customer. And that industrial responsibility, that duty, really, that these companies have, that's something you really take seriously. Uh, it is. It is. And again, I, I hope we're lucky enough to, to really have an impact at some scale there, I think, particularly the financial, insert, you know, the financial services industry, which is effectively underwritten by the taxpayer, right? Like when things go wrong and you get to use the taxpayer's money to bail yourselves out, you really have a direct responsibility then to take care of them as your customer or as the taxpayer, whether or not they are a shareholder. Um, and certainly there are lots of financial institutions that take this seriously. You know, I, I know, you know, our investors, for example, at BBVA and elsewhere, you know, seem to really have the right idea. But I think putting, you know, all of those things into practice sometimes means, 
you know, taking part in new projects and ventures like what we're working on kind of from the ground up as opposed to trying to reinvent, say, you know, an existing giant corporation or bank that already, um, you know, is on the scene. So I, I think you're right. I think there is kind of an industrial responsibility and particularly in the financial services industry um, because it is so closely related to kind of, you know, monetary policy and what, what happens on the back end with banks relative to the government and, the, and you know, the, the central banks that they basically make them possible, there is a social responsibility aspect there. And I think if we can, you know, shed light on that or be a part of the answer or the next generation of companies that really helps pull that forward, I think we would all be really proud of what we've done. As the last question today, it's a two-parter. Um, as an obvious thought leader, um, which comes from your entrepreneurial experience, when you wake up in the morning and you look out into the horizon, what is the one thing that sort of keeps you up at night? And you know when you wake up tomorrow morning, oh man, I'm going to have to deal with this again. And on the flip side of that coin, what's the thing that you wake up and you see it and even though you know you had that challenge, it puts a little wind in your sails. What are the two sides of that coin? Um, well, it depends on how far out into the horizon you look, I guess. I think, you know, in the near term, in the nearer horizon, um, poorly formed regulation is a problem, right? I think they're particularly domestically here in the States, like some some sanity around regulatory policy that affects your money, um, that affects how all of these things will play out and who gets to make money off of these things in the future. Uh, I'm not sure all of that is, um, you know, fully being, fully being cooked up in rooms where logic prevails. And, and I think that, that that's an issue, particularly in a regulated industry like banking right now, that um, that it's a concern, right? And I think that there's globally that changes by jurisdiction, um, but but it's something that's certainly a challenge. I think if you look further out on the horizon, there's some real fundamental changes coming to the nature of work and the workforce and kind of economic displacement due to technology, right? And this is, you know, not because jobs are getting chipped overseas from one country to another, but, you know, fundamental changes in automation um, that will really change the nature of work and how you work. And that that's a you know, that's a trend that results um, in more freelancing, more gig economy type things in the future that don't don't look like you going to work for one company for 40 years for your entire career, but rather having to continually learn and reinvent yourself and have different types of income producing activities. Um, I, I think banks are poorly prepared for that. I, I think, you know, we can hopefully start to move things in that direction. Um, but those will be big changes uh, for society. And I think that, uh, you know, they're coming, the speed at which they get here, I think we could argue about, but those things are coming and, um, and they will be, they'll be big. Um, on the flip side, I think the thing that really, you know, gives me hope and, and gives me purpose and, and really puts, um, you know, a smile on my face every day is the people, right? Because I think organizations are just, they're, collections of people and most people inherently really want to do do good by others and create things of, of real value that help others. And, you know, we're lucky to have a team that, that feels that way. And if you watch the news too much, I think you think the world is probably, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. But when you ignore that and you actually talk one-on-one -on -one to real people, um, I, I think that that faith in humanity gets restored pretty quickly. So I think there's, there's a lot of hope there. Like, I think there's a lot of positive um, things that can come from tapping back into all of the rest of the creativity and the humanity that we all have and not worrying quite so much about the armies of killer robots that will show up someday. Um, so I think, you know, to, to kind of tie those two things together, 
you know, in the immediate term, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of hope to be gleaned there, just from you know from the humans that you work with every day, and to the extent that uh, as a collection of humans we get to solve some of the stickier things like financial regulation and you know displacement due to AI and automation and those types of things, and, and create a world where the economy will work a little differently, but everybody gets to participate in it fairly. I think that's you know a really noble cause that everybody can can get behind. On behalf of all of us who find ourselves more and more and more depending on that sharing economy concept, uh, we're all cheering you on. We're really, we are cheering you on. We got your back and we're looking forward to, to some of the cool things that you are going to be able to, to help develop and present. Today, it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with the CEO and co-founder of Aslo, Brian Hamilton. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries. 